<laughs> so good to see all of you here today as we, as we look into God's Word together. We're, we're continuing a series that Brother Tom started the first Sunday in January on, on resolving to make 2013 spiritually successful. You know, when we, when we talk about success, no matter what kind of success we're talking about, uh, there, there are a lot of different definitions that we might find. But, but I think of a man in, in, in history that, that I would consider a spiritually successful. He was a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Many of you have heard of D.L. Moody, read, read things that, that he wrote. And I'm reminded of a story of a, of a group of pastors who had gotten together and, and they were going to do a crusade. And, and one guy in the, in the group there, he just, the Lord had laid on his heart the name of D.L. Moody. And, and he kept saying, uh, well, I think we need to get D.L. Moody. I think we need to get D.L. Moody. I think we need to get D.L. Moody. And another pastor was getting a little irritated that he kept saying that over and over and over again. And he said, D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, does D.L. Moody have a, a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? To which the other pastor replied, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. I don't know if you know much about the life of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a, he, he, when he was only six years old, his dad died at the age of 41. And his mom was left to raise a large family. Now, now this was back during the, you know, the, the 1800s, the 19th century. And so as a, a teenager, as a, as a young teenager, he went away to Boston where his uncle had a shoe store and he became a shoe salesman. He didn't have much of a, of, a, of a religious background or much of a spiritual upbringing, but a, but a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball began to reach out to D.L. Moody. And, and the Lord just put D.L. Moody on that Sunday school teacher's heart. Edward Kimball was known to say later that when he first met him, he thought, I, I don't think there's another person on earth who has as little to offer as this young man does to humanity. But God put D.L. Moody on his heart. And after spending some time in the back of that shoe store, Edward Kimball led D.L. Moody to the Lord as a teenager. It's interesting that that same year when he tried to join the church, the congregational church, they declined his application for membership. Said he didn't know enough about doctrine, yet back then it was a little tougher to be a member of a church than it is these days. They just had to fill out a card and walk down the aisle in those days. So it took him a couple years to even get in the church. A little later on, he moved to Chicago. And, and, and as a young man, uh, uh, 19 years of age, he, he really felt that God, he wanted to serve God, that God wanted to use him, but he didn't know what to do. But in Chicago, there was a Sunday school movement. Now, Sunday school was a little different, not exactly like what we do. Sunday school was an auxiliary of the church, but, but what they did was they, they reached out to, uh, to uh, young men and women, boys and girls, that uh, were, were, were lower income, uh, in poverty. They, they were so poor that, you know, they, they didn't get to, to go to school. They had to start working at the ages of 7, 8, 9, and 10 in the factories and on the farm. And so they started Sunday schools, and they would teach them to read and write, but they would teach them from the Bible. And so while they were teaching them skills they needed to be successful in life, they were leading them to the Lord. And Dale Moody wanted to be a part of that, of that ministry. And so he went and volunteered. And they said, well, yes, you can, uh, you can be a part of the Sunday school ministry and you can be one of our, one of our teachers after they talk to him, but we're not going to give you any students. You got to go get your own students. And so D.L. Moody said, well, that's okay. 
And so he went out on the streets of Chicago, and, and within that one-week one period, he came back with 18 boys. I mean, he was doing a bus ministry before there were buses. And he came back with 18 boys. In a period of two years, D.L. Moody grew that class of 18 boys into a Sunday school of 1,500 boys by the time he was 23 years old. D.L. Moody was still wondering what God was, was wanting to do in his life. And so he, he took a trip uh, uh, across the ocean to, to England. And, and, and while he was in England, he, he, he was listening to a sermon. And, and these are the words I'll read them so that I won't misquote them. He heard a preacher say, The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully consecrated to him. And as D.L. Moody sat there and, and, and listened to those words, he, he thought, he said, a man. He didn't say it had to be an educated man. He didn't say that it had to be a, a wealthy man. He just said, a man, I'm a man. I will be that man. And that day, D.L. Moody said, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do through me, here I am. D.L. Moody became to his generation what we would consider Billy Graham to be to our generation. On both continents, Europe and the United States, he, he preached to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Another interesting thing that D.L. Moody did was he went back to Chicago and, and he started the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association. He said, why are you telling us this story about D.L. Moody? Well, first of all, I, I believe he's a, a great example of spiritual success. A lot of folks might have looked at D.L. Moody and said, this, this young boy, he doesn't have a lot to offer. But he just put himself in God's hands and let God do what he wanted to do. And God did exceedingly abundantly above all that D.L. Moody could ask or even think. But another reason I want to talk about D.L. Moody is, remember who led D.L. Moody to the Lord? A Sunday school teacher. Not, not, not a preacher, not, not a professor, not, not anyone who might have been on the council to determine whether or not he could get into church, but just a Sunday school teacher. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you work with, with adults or, or students or, or preschool or children, would you stand right now? We, we need to honor you as a church because you do a great man. Just stand up right now. You're a Sunday school teacher. Stand up. We appreciate you. Amen. The second thing about D.L. Moody is think about it, he started the YMCA. Now, now it was started, first of all, for a couple of things. One, it was started to give an environment for young men and older teenagers, a place where they could hang out besides the bars and the brothels and other things there in Chicago. So they could have a, a place, a positive environment. It also became a place where guys that were having to live on the streets didn't know have anywhere to live, they could come and stay. It was a place where people were taught the Word of God and, and evangelistic services were held and, and, and people were saved. That was their purpose. That, that's how it started. Moody went on later to start Moody Bible Institute and, and also a, a church that was later named in his honor, Moody Church there in Chicago. But he was most proud of the YMCA. But what do we know the YMCA for? place to go swim. <laughs> place to play ball. Maybe a place to do crafts or whatever. 
You see, their whole mission changed from what it was started for to, to what it is, and now they're really struggling in many places even to keep a, a YMC open because they got away from their original mission. You know, if we're not careful, even in the church we can do that. Because the Scripture is very plain, very clear what our business is. Our business is to make disciples. You know what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Make disciples. It's not one thing we do, it's everything we do. Make disciples. But, but I, I want you to imagine with me and just, just think for a moment sort of where we are in, in, in modern day church. First of all, when we talk about success, basically in America we think bigger is better, right? In other words, the bigger the crowd, the more successful you are. The more people you have, the more successful you have. So the, so the idea is to see how big a crowd you can gather. And the more you gather, the more successful. Isn't that way we measure success, even in the church, pretty much? David Platt, in his book, Radical Together, he, he sort of explained it this way. He said, today, first of all, in the church, there, there's, you've got to focus on the performance. To be a successful church, you've got to have performance. In other words, you've got to have a preacher, a pastor, who is a good communicator that, that people like to listen to. But he has to be careful what he communicates. Because he can't say anything that uh, hurts anybody's feelings or offends anybody. He's got to make sure that everybody leaves pretty much feeling good about themselves. So much so that they want to come back next week so that the crowd can continue to get bigger. Not only do you have the preaching, but obviously also you have the music, which is in today's time even more important. Because most people make a decision about a church based on the worship. Or the worship style. If you don't believe it, look at it. Which has the most attendance? Christian concerts? Or places where the word of God is proclaimed? So it really doesn't matter what is being preached, what is being communicated, as long as the worship meets my needs. So there's the performance. But then we got the performance going, but now we got to have programs. Because we want to keep people coming back, right? And in order to have programs, it takes people to run programs. So we have to hire professionals to keep the programs running. So that we got something for all the kids and all the teenagers and all the adults and, and all the families. So that all the programs are good. That way if people like the performance and they like the programs, they'll keep coming. The crowds will get bigger and we will be successful. Only one problem. What's our business? What's our mission? It's to make disciples. And, and in many churches today, the, the, the pastor and the staff are so busy with the performance side that they don't have time to get to know their people. They don't have time to disciple their people. They're too busy to even put together a plan, a process for people to grow to be like Jesus. And as a result, while as many as maybe 40% of Americans will attend church this morning, it will have very little impact on the way they live their lives the rest of the week. It's just something to do on Sunday or Saturday night. 
but it has nothing to do with day-to-day life. Because we're growing crowds, but not disciples. We can't be spiritually successful unless we're disciples. Would you turn with me your Bibles to the book of John? The Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 5. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me or apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You can be seated. Here Jesus paints a picture. He he paints a picture of of him being the vine, the roots coming up from the ground, and and there's the vine, the trunk, and then then you and I as as Christians are all of these branches that are going every different way. And he begins to talk about abiding. He begins to talk about being connected to the branch. And and he makes a statement in in, in verse 5. He said, without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, apart from God, there is no way that we can be successful. You may say, well, I can do some things without God. I can do pretty good without God. I can get by without God. That's not what the Scripture says, is it? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a zilch. Absolutely zero. I mean, you may think you're being successful. But remember, the ones keeping the score, (laughs) sometimes have no business being scorekeepers, right? Because only God is the scorekeeper. It's a call to abide. It's a call to to discipleship. But if we're going to talk about discipleship and and being disciples, maybe maybe we need to define it. Maybe we need to define what discipleship is. Now, now I just wrote this out. This this is not, uh, you know, you could probably do a better job as you define discipleship. But this is just something for us to use today so that we can somewhat be on the same page. Discipleship is living out our relationship with Jesus Christ by submitting to His Lordship and seeking fellowship with Him daily. This will involve sacrifice and self-denial, but will result in real joy, answered prayer, and spiritual fruit. Jesus called us to be disciples. You see, it's not just about attending. Sometimes we say, well, where do you attend church? It's not just about attending. It's not even about membership. In the New Testament, membership was automatic. It was never optional. You were a believer, you were a member of the local church. It was never optional. 
Today we think, well, we talk about where we're members. doesn't matter whether we go or not. A friend of mine went to a new church, and he, he made a commitment he was going to visit every home in the community. And uh, he was not, he took him a while. He was getting down to the end. He was about three months that he'd been there. And he knocked on the door, and this man comes to the door, and he introduces himself as a local pastor knocking on doors. And before he could get it out, the guy in the door said, hey, well, we're members down at Mount Pisgah. And he said, well, good to meet you. I'm the pastor down at Mount Pisgah. You see, membership don't mean a whole lot anymore, right? Because there are folks who are members that we never see. And, and then we talked about decisions. You know, it, it sort of became in vogue. So how many decisions did you have? Pastors talk like that. How many decisions did y'all have during the revival? How many decisions did y'all have yesterday? I'm around one, one pastor. He pastored a church of about 100 people. They said, how many did you have yesterday? He said, we had about 100 there. He said, how many decisions did you have? He said, oh, we had 75. He said, 75 decisions? Yes, 75. Decided not to come back last night. <laughs> decisions. You see, Jesus is not calling us to a decision. He's calling us to be a disciple. He's calling us to a life of, of abiding and staying co connected with him. You see, discipleship, first of all, is a, is a purpose to live for. I like what Jesus said here. He said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. You see, when God saved us, our purpose became to, should have become to follow him and to glorify him. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, I have glorified you on earth because I've finished the work that you gave me to do. D.L. Moody glorified God because he did the work that, that God called him to do. He, it's, he had a purpose. You see, the gospel that saves us from works, it's the gospel that calls us to work. Remember, the scripture says it's by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what's the very next verse? For we are his workmanship. Created unto good works. See, some people treat salvation as if that's the end. Well, I got that out of the way. Join the church, baptized. Now I can just hang around. See, some people even think this way. I had a person explain this to me once. He said, well, you know, they were talking about heaven or hell, and I wasn't sure if I believed in either one of them. But as they described hell, I knew I didn't want to go there. And they described heaven, and I thought, well, if i got to make a choice, I'll choose heaven over hell. And so the guy said, all you got to do is pray this prayer, and you go to heaven. So I prayed that prayer. But that's all he ever did. Words out of his mouth, but no change in his heart. Discipleship is a, is a purpose to live for. When Jesus called his first disciples... He picked out uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There, it becomes a purpose to live for. But not only is it a purpose to live for, but there are principles to live by. That's why God gave us his word. Notice G Jesus said that, that you need to keep my commandments. In John 8, 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In other words, a call to follow Christ, a call to discipleship is, is to begin to live out God's word in our life. 
You see, the person that says, I'm a Christian, I just don't live like it, needs to go back and read the New Testament. Can't be done. The person that knows Jesus Christ as Savior is transformed, radically changed. He's brand new. He's not just somebody trying to do better. He's not just somebody that's decided he'd start going to church. He's transformed. They're principles to live by. Spending time in the Word. But not only is discipleship principles to live by, but it's people to live with. See, God never intended for us to do this thing by ourselves. We can't. We need one another. We need each other. That's why God places everybody in the body. He doesn't intend for anybody to be a lone ranger Christian. He doesn't intend for anybody to come to know Christ and go sit on an island by himself somewhere. He intends for every believer to be a part of a body because we need each other. Especially new Christians. Because the Bible calls new Christians like spiritual infants, right? Babes in Christ. And they need a lot of encouragement. How many of us would think would think of, of, of giving birth to a baby and saying, okay, I did my part. It's up to you from here on in. Or you take that baby home and, and, and the family's sitting down to eat and the baby's crying in the other room and the mama said, well, hey, she knows where the table is. If she's hungry, she'll come in here and eat. We wouldn't do that, would we? But yet we do it to new believers all the time. They come in, they get lost in the crowd, they get lost in the shuffle, and a few months later we wonder what happened to them. Where are they? We didn't live up to our responsibility. Because we all need accountability, we all need encouragement. The body of Christ is a place where we encourage one another and we're encouraged at the same time. It's a place to serve, it's a place to fellowship, and it's a place to receive those things. Discipleship is a, is a people to live with. That's why our small groups, our Sunday school classes are so important. Because in here you may know some names and, and, and you may know some faces and, and, and you're going to hear some, some, some good preaching and hear some good music, but, but you're not going to be able to make those relationships that are needed, that are necessary, that are not optional for you to grow spiritually. That's why you, we have to plug in because discipleship is a, is a people to, to, to live with. You see, our Sunday school teachers are, are spiritual shepherds because baby sheep need shepherds. You see, nobody has any right because, because hey, when, when God, wouldn't it be wonderful when God saved us that immediately we were made perfect? Now, some of you that think you're perfect, ask your wife. They'll share with you how you fall short, okay? None of us are there. It's a process that begins when we're saved and continues until we go to be with Jesus. And, and all of us sit at different areas of the spectrum, but I don't care where we are on the spectrum, we all have a long way to go because Jesus is the model. And a church is discipleship is a people to live with as we help disciple one another. Next, discipleship is a process. A process to live out. It takes a while. 
Just like D.L. Moody, he said, I just make myself available to God, and he got in on the process. You see, it's not just about showing up for the show. Brother Tom talked about going to the show last week. For some of you, that's going to the movie theater. For Tom and I, it was, yeah, it's going to the show. And some people think just by showing up for the show that, hey, that's all there is to it. Well, that would be like me wanting to become physically fit and going out and buying a gym membership. And every day going down to the gym and seeing all my buddies and all my friends and sit there and drink Diet Cokes and eat pizza and watch them work out. Thinking that, hey, they're getting spiritually fit. Maybe it'll rub off on me. Maybe it can help me just, just by what they're doing. Doesn't work that way, does it? Discipleship is a process that we don't get just by showing up. It involves discipline. The discipline of daily putting ourselves into God's Word, abiding in His Word, spending time in prayer, and then taking those principles that we learn and putting them into practice in our daily life. Becoming doers of the Word and, and, and not hearers only. That's when it begins to, to, to make a difference. It's a, it's a process to live out. And then finally, discipleship is a power. To live on. You see, when you got saved, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, God took up residence in your life. Through His Holy Spirit, He came to live within you, and the Scripture says that you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And now all of a sudden, you're not working out of your strength. You're not working according to your abilities. You're working out of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. He, he is the engine that drives us as believers. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's why Paul would say, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why Jesus would say, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, while the Holy Spirit lives within all of us, we have the power as believers. We, we all have the Holy Spirit. It's fellowship with God that triggers the switch. Remember the Sunday when the lights went out? I've never looked so good preaching, have I? There was a totally dark. And it didn't matter if we went over and flipped the switch or went upstairs and flipped the breaker. There was no power coming to the building. So there was no lights. You see, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, there's no power in your life. Now, you can sing religious songs and you can do religious things and you can be a part of religious activities, but the Scripture says that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Jesus said you're like a branch that is cut off and withered to be thrown away in the fire. There's nothing if He don't live within you. There's no power. You can't manufacture it. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But we could have power coming to the building and all the switches turned off. And it wouldn't matter if, if all that power was coming in, we'd still be sitting in the dark. Someone has to go over and flip the switch. You see, discipleship, spending time in the Word of God, spending time in prayer, committing ourselves to living daily for Christ, that's flipping the switch in our life. 
That's getting the current flowing. That's getting the power moving. That's giving us the ability to live not in our own strength but in His. That's what makes the difference. You see, when we're resolving ourselves for success in 2013, it can't come outside of relationship with Him. I want to ask you to think about a couple things very quickly. Then we're going to close. One, if you don't have a time in your life where every day you sit down with the Word, read the Word and spend some time in prayer, would you just right now ask God through the power that lives within you as a believer to help you as you make a commitment to spend time daily in His Word? Second thing I want to ask you to do in, in, in every chair, there, there's a little communication card, guest card, registration card, whatever you want to call it. And, and there are many of you right here in this room today that you're not a part of a small group at all. On any given Sunday, we have about 150 people in our worship service that you're not a part of a small group in our church. And we're so thankful that you come to our worship services. But could it be that now's the time that you take the next step? Say, hey, I want to plug into a small group. I, I want to be a part of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a group where people love me and encourage me and, and help me, and I can do the same for them. A little while, we're going to take up our offering. I, I would ask you, if you're not in a small group, would you take that little card and just put your name on there and on the back just check you'd like to be a part of a small group or write it down. I'm praying about being a part of a small group. Those things will come to Tom and I, and we'll help get you plugged in to a small group so that you can get on with that process of discipleship that God has just for you. But you know, before you can commit to be a disciple, you got to be a believer. Could it be that right now God is speaking to your heart and He's saying, you know, you need to make that commitment. You've never done that. You faked it a long time. You have almost even convinced yourself. But you know that you don't know me. And I want to come into your heart right now. Today is your opportunity. Brother Tom's going to be coming here to the front. Stu's going to be coming and Barbara. We're going to move into our time of invitation. Just a moment. You're going to have an opportunity to come. And say, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. I want to accept his salvation right now. I believe he's called me and I'm accepting it. Maybe you understand, hey, I need a church family. Now, gang, we're not perfect here. But I do know that this is a church that has a pastor who will love you and pray for you and encourage you. I do know that this is a church that has small groups for adults and students and, and preschoolers and children who will encourage you and help you. It's a great place. If this is where God is calling you. Because remember, He's calling everybody to be a part of the body. Whether it's here or somewhere else. Chances are if you're here today, He's calling you to this church. So our time of invitation is just inviting Inviting you to make that commitment to Bible study. Make that commitment to a small group. 
open up your life to Jesus for the first time. Come and be a part of Indian Springs. Whatever it is, you do it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the calling of discipleship. Father, help us as we commit ourselves to follow you and to trust you today. Lord, that, that we, like those early disciples, like the great men and women of faith down through the years, like D.L. Moody, would just say, Lord, here I am. I make myself totally, completely available to you whenever, wherever, however. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand to sing. Share something for. Why don't you go ahead and be seated for a moment? We're going to have. We're not through yet.